7 Million Bikes podcast couldn't happen without the support of our community. I want to give a massive thank you to our existing Patreon members, Zion Johnson, Brandon Thompson, Dan Jones, Andrew Barry, Annie Ver, Carrie Hughes-Parry, Pippa Clear, Tracy Wright, Alistair Chapman, Brandon Thompson, and our newest member, Tien Kung. To say thank you to all of our members, we're having a special pool party here at my new apartment. And thanks to my friends at Mixtape Brewery, we'll be enjoying the new green tea-based hard seltzer. Perfect for an afternoon of drinking by the pool. As you probably know, I'm a massive craft beer fan. Mixtape Drinks is a relative newcomer on the growing craft beer scene here in Vietnam, starting in 2020 by my friend Chad Mitchell and Taipei-based Sean Kidd. You'll often see me and Adri out in Saigon drinking their delicious peaches and cream IPA or our refreshing California Sun Juicy Paleo. And if you're in the mood for something a bit heavier and darker, their Molly Milk Stout is delicious. I was pretty disappointed when I found out though that it didn't actually include Molly. Through craft beer, mixtape drinks is becoming part of the Vietnam community through local music, art, food, and now podcasts. If you'd like to be part of the 7 Million Bikes community and support our podcast, then Mixtape is giving away four free cans to the next three new community members. That's worth 280,000 dong or 11 US dollars. To get your free cans, you have to be in Ho Chi Minh City and join the We Might plan or above. You can still support us wherever you are in the world. And when you do, next time you're in Saigon, the drinks are on me. As a community member, you'll also get episodes before anyone else, invites to special events like our pool party, and bonus content that no one else will ever see or hear. And I'll also give you a special shout out on future episodes. So join at patreon.com forward slash 7 million bikes, or you can find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much to everyone for listening and helping us pass 40,000 downloads recently, and everyone who supports us, including Mixtape Brewery. Cheers. Ever heard the joke and asked, did that really happen? My name is Neil Mackay from 7 Million Bikes Podcasts and a comedian. Long before I ever started comedy, when I heard comedians tell the craziest, funny stories, I would always wonder just that. And if I got a chance to meet them after the show, I would always ask them, did that really happen? And nine times out of 10, the answer was yes. But the difference between sharing a story with friends and telling it on stage is a comedian's ability to take those moments and craft them into a well-worked joke. In every episode of this podcast, I talk to a comedian from around the world, play you one of their jokes, and then ask them, did that really happen? Today, I'm with a very special guest who's going to be performing at a 7 Million Bikes comedy show one night in Saigon, this Saturday, February 11th at Eddie's Diner in District 1. If you haven't already got your tickets, make sure you go book them now. The link will be in the show notes and it's limited seating to just 25 people. So this is going to sell out. So make sure you get your tickets. Now, this psychedelic-loving ex-Mormon is a stand-up comedian and actor based in Denver, Colorado, who works out his angst on stage from growing up as a black sheep in an ultra-conservative household. He's performed at High Plains Comedy Festival, Alaska Before You Die Fest, Vail Comedy Festival, is a regular at the world, is a regular at the world-famous Comedy Works in Denver, and appeared on Netflix and Adult Swim. 
My guest today is Corey David. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, man, I'm happy to be here. I love talking shop about jokes and stories. Perfect. It's my two biggest passions, podcast and comedies. Yeah, I uh, I have a podcast myself and I took a bit of a hiatus from doing one. I used to have like a craft beer and comedy podcast that I did uh, a couple of years ago. And um, after I stopped doing that, I uh, I knew I wanted to start something else myself. And I just got interrogation true crime stories uh, kind of up and running a few months ago. But I just I really missed uh, talking about uh, just just kind of being funny without worrying about whether or not it's like a setup punchline kind of thing. I, I just love talking to people and I love saying dumb stuff all the time. Like you know, <laughs> that's my I just asked my girlfriend. I just say the stupidest thing sometimes just for fun. And I feel like podcasts are a great opportunity to do that. You know, you just kind of free flow conversation, kind of trying to be funny, but mostly just having some kind of organic conversation that I think is really fun and entertaining. Tell me a bit more about your podcast that you just mentioned there. Oh, so um, I run a true crime storytelling show back in the States uh, called Interrogation True Crime Stories. Uh, the idea behind it kind of came from a friend of mine and I wanted to start a show together, like a storytelling show, because he and I both, and we both wind up telling a lot of stories on stage. We just have a very similar um, kind of approach that way. And uh, we wanted to do a storytelling show, but we didn't want to just do something like a generic storytelling show because I feel like a lot of the times um, if it doesn't have a theme or a niche, then, you know, there's just really not as much to work with. Uh, you don't have that kind of baked in like appeal or uh, interest or even the comedy parts of it. Um, storytelling is really hard, uh, as you're aware of. And um, so you craft like a five to ten minute story it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. And the reason that we decided to go with the, the true crime route was because crimes are inherently funny. And even if it's, even if when the story that somebody's telling when they're on stage at the show, isn't that funny. People are intrigued because it's somebody admitting something stupid that they did or something stupid that they were a part of. And it's one of the reasons like true crime stuff is just, um, I think so popular uh, everywhere right now because people are so there's so much appeal that revolves around people wanting to know about like things they would have never done themselves or people maybe acting like uh, out of line and being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that, you know? So I did, um, I started doing the podcast in conjunction with the storytelling show to kind of help cross promote the two. And I've just done so many dumb things in my life that I have plenty of my own stories to tell. And I think it's fun and candid to talk to somebody else about them. The whole idea of it is to, I think, hopefully to shine a light on the fact that everybody's done something stupid in their life, you know, or it's even somebody, you know, I always tell people like, it doesn't even have to be a crime you committed. It could be something that you witnessed or maybe something you were a part of the police were involved and everybody has, most people have some kind of ridiculous story. Um, so with the, um, the podcast is a little different than the live show. It's one guest as opposed to three on the live show and uh, we spend about 10 minutes uh recapping and uh goofing about dumb crimes that i find on the internet and then the um the guest shares a story for about 10 to 15 minutes and we just kind of go back and forth i'll ask some questions about it and uh and that's the show so um yeah again just kind of like learning more about the guests and uh, having a laugh about uh just 
case. It's, and uh, <laughs> maybe maybe just admitting to things that we weren't always necessarily proud of, you know, whether it's like shoplifting or underage drinking or getting caught doing drugs in a park or um, vandalism or, or something like that, you know. Yeah, everyone's got a story for that for absolutely for sure, for sure. Well, I'm excited to perform with you this week, and actually, I'll I'll make sure to tell one of my stories, which has become one of my one of my favorite jokes to tell. Anyway, is when I was my phone was robbed by a lady boy right round the corner from where I from where I met you today, um, and that's <laughs> that's uh, turned out to be a pretty good joke. So I'll make sure to yeah. share that on stage this week, and you get you can hear that one. I would love to. And, you know, one of the reasons that I like doing the the live show is, you know, every comic that's on the show, um, they, they get 10 minutes. And I always tell them that they can um, do a mix of stand up and story just to fill the time. But the majority of the set should be about the story. And the reason I think it's cool is because there isn't really a lot of pressure on the story to be funny, because after they're done telling their story myself and the co-hosts we get back on stage and all three of us all three com- like the, myself my co-host and the the comic we all get a mic and then the um we the hosts and the audience get to ask the comic questions about what happens so that's the interrogation part of the show and a lot of the questions that people ask will either kind of be funny or we'll find we'll find a question or a response from the comic that we can make jokes about. Mm. And we know that that's going to be funny. Like we can make that funny. And and then we have uh, the audience also text in their own crimes during the show. <laughs> and we read those. And then we all three, again, we're all still on stage and we make jokes about that. So the reason I brought that up was mostly because you know, there's not a lot of opportunities that people get to tell a story for 10 minutes and without the pressure of it being like a punchline every 30 seconds or there's a big, um, you know, a big uh, drop like in a roller coaster every minute or something like that. Mm. Uh, and people, a lot of people have found that it's been, they have really great, they've gotten some really great material out of doing the show because they got a chance to do it in front of a live audience, like actual crowd. And they found out where the beats were, where instead of they, 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 they might not have had that opportunity if they were trying to run it as an open mic or even, I mean, if you only had 10 minutes on a paid show doing someplace else, you're usually not going to dedicate that to doing a 10 minute story you've never said before. Yeah, I love the concept. I, I love the uh, the crowd work aspect of it as well, because like you're saying, you're getting the, the crowd to ask questions and the comedian can respond. For me, that's probably my favorite part of performing is when uh, is doing crowd work, interacting with the audience. And just sometimes you just get the funniest moments that can't be replicated, can't be scripted, will never happen again. And you have the whole audience just loving it, buying into it. And it's that for me is always like the the, the best part of being on stage. Yeah, well, it makes it very uh, apparent that the things it's happening here and it's happening in this room. It's not like a movie or you're not watching a band perform for you. It makes the experience very um, symbiotic in that way where it's like, mm. no, we need you guys as a crowd to feel like you're a part of this without interjecting, you know, like don't heckle, like don't shout stuff out or whatever, but making it, I do that a lot of times if it's like a smaller crowd, like if it's really small, like maybe like, you know, if it's like 10 or 12 people in the room, you can literally see everybody that's there or whatever. I'll take, I'll usually take more time to just like pick, pick on people and make some jokes about them or kind of just say more things that are on my mind and talk things out a little bit more because it seems more organic that way instead of 
you know, it, there's, it's not as much fun to go up in front of a small crowd and just do the written material, the way that you wrote that, the way that you wrote them, uh, the way you always present it as if you're in front of like a full club or something along those lines. Uh, it just makes this, yeah, it just makes the experience a little bit more special, I think. Yeah, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And you know, we we talked about this today. So Saigon's quite a small comedy scene. I've d- I've done some big shows, but mostly the shows here you are doing it to about ten to twelve people, or maybe twenty thirty. So they're generally quite small shows, which does lend itself to doing a lot of really fun crowd work. And I've it's quite good because I've gotten the opportunity, I think, to get a lot better at it and and quite good at it because I don't really do many of these kind of big club type shows. I did one just in the States last week or a few weeks ago now um, in the comedy strip in El Paso. And, you know, it's one of these stages. You can't really see the crowd at all. Nobody sat in the front row, which you would have been able to see the front row, but nobody sat there. Um, And so those kind of audiences, I was like, how would I ever do crowd work in in a crowd like this? But then when you're here in Saigon, the audiences are quite small. The amount of times that I've gone up on stage to host and I've got something in my head that I'm going to start with. I've got some jokes lined up that I'm going to start the show with. And then just start talking to the crowd immediately. And it just goes off in a different direction. I tell a different joke I wasn't going to plan or it ends up going on into a conversation or, you know, it's much more. I find that so much more fun than, like you said, coming up and then just reading off the scripted jokes. Yeah, well, don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for both. I mean, when you're performing in front of a large crowd and they came for comedy night and uh, that's the reason they're there, they're comedy fans and they're there to have fun. Like the way you wrote the joke is the best version of that joke. You know, Mm -hmm. it's polished and it's quick and it's got the beats to it and the pauses and you're saying the words the way you want to and inflecting in the right ways that make it funny that, um, you know, it's this perfect packaged piece that is kind of designed and optimized for that crowd. Um, And those are easier and not, yeah, I mean, they can be like way easier, right? Because you can just literally go up there and do it the way you want to. And then you move on to the next joke and you just keep that pace and it's just punch, 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 punch. You know, there's not a lot of breathing room. And then when you have people stacked on top of each other like that in a big room, the laughter is just contagious and mm-hmm. uh, people can't help themselves but laugh. And then as soon as they think you're done, you boom, you hit them again with something <laughs> else, you know? And then, yeah. So that, in that way, it's fun. You know, smaller crowds, so usually like slower pace, kind of feeling things out a little bit, maybe going off on some tangents or whatever. But yeah, I think there's time and place for both. Well, now you're here in Saigon, you kind of see what I mean, because we're just used to smaller crowds here. We don't have big club rooms and things like that. So it's got its positives and it's... uh it's negatives. But I love what you just said there. You listed off without even thinking about five different things that go into making a joke. You said things like inflection, pauses, the words that you use. So what we're going to do now, I'm going to play your joke. Uh, we're going to listen to it and we'll find out. All right. So let's hear the joke from Corey David. So I used to run it every year in a Santa costume because I'm a silly goose. I'm a happy fun guy, right? And part of it, I would bring like a bag of like little candy canes with me and I would throw them out in the crowd as I was running. Seems like a great time, right? And I tell you what, boy, there is no greater joy in life than running down the street in a Santa Claus costume and then you lock eyes with a small child and then you throw a handful of candy canes directly into their face. Like, it's, it's electric. It's an absolute rush. And you have total immunity in this situation. Because what's a parent going to do? Beat up Santa in public? Let me tell you what 
you one thing, white privilege is awesome. Look at this. I've gotten every job I've ever interviewed for. Do you understand? But you thought white privilege was good? Try mythical creature privilege. You can get away with murder. This guy sneaks in your house, eats your food, drinks your milk, bangs your wife. He can get away with everything. Right? So I got done running the 5K, and we get back to the high school, and I'm a little sweaty, I'm pretty tired, you know, just kicked ass in this 5K, I'm out of candy canes, just pelting it. And I feel a tug on my jacket, and I turn around, and it's a kid, right? And he's like, can I tell you what I want for Christmas? And right behind him is his mother. She's not budging. She has a look in her eye that says, this is happening, I can't afford the pictures at the mall. Right? <laughs> so I'm gonna break this kid's heart. So I'm like, yeah, sure, why? Let's do it, right? But I do it in like a Santa voice. So it's like, sure. If anybody can do a better Santa voice, please get up here and do it out. <laughs> it's harder than you think, right? <laughs> so I sit down on this bench. This kid sits on my lap, tells me he wants a Christmas. The next thing I know, there are 20 children. Just <laughs> lined up, waiting to tell Santa what they want for Christmas, right? And I'm in over my head at this point. Now there's a cop that's like, Obviously, just kind of like running security for the event or whatever. And he comes over, and I'm like, oh, thank God, this is going to be my out. Because surely you can't just be granting wishes in public without a permit. You know what I mean? This is going to be it's gonna be my way out of this thing. I see, he's like, hey, man, what's going on? I'm like, well, you see what's going on, right? Uh, you were here the whole time. Uh, you know what's up. And I was like, can you get me out of here? And he just looks at me with a stern face and says, don't put on the uniform if you can't do the job. So, Corey, did that really happen? Yeah, man, that absolutely happened. Uh, so, when I go, I used to go back home for Thanksgiving every year because I lived about two hours away from where I grew up, where my parents are at. And uh, we would run the turkey trot every year as a family. And if you're not familiar with the turkey trot, it's basically just this dumb Americanized thing. I'm sure, do, do they do that over here? No, of course they don't do that over here. There's not Thanksgiving over here. Uh, <laughs> this is a dumb question. You mean everybody doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving? What a bunch of losers. So <laughs> uh, who doesn't want to celebrate the pilgrims coming to America and Saigon? <laughs> So, so there, there is a lot of actually Thanksgiving celebrations here, but it's all expat celebrating it. So, but yeah, I, I actually I, don't know what a turkey trot is, so you can you can explain it to anyone who doesn't know. Okay, okay, great. So somebody came up with this great idea that on the day of Thanksgiving they're going to run a five, they're, they're going to host a five k, uh, which is always ridiculous to me because in the states the night before Thanksgiving is actually the biggest drinking holiday of the entire year like more alcohol is consumed the night before Thanksgiving than on any other night in the country and um that yeah everybody knows the the best thing to do after a night of heavy drinking is to go for a run so one of the uh other traditions that kind of goes hand in hand with the turkey trot is half like a lot of people wind up running it in some kind of a costume you know what just for fun for goose right and my family has a Santa costume because we do a family Christmas party every year and somebody dresses up as Santa for like the kids or whatever. It is they have it. So I just decided, because I'm a silly goose, that I was going to, I'm going to run it in a Santa suit, right? And Santa suit is uh, not ideal for running in any temperature, <laughs> but especially the fall, like it's not incredibly cold yet. So you work up quite a sweat and Again, just for, for the sake of trying to be fun, I was like, oh, I'll bring some candy canes with me so that I can toss them out into the crowd. And just one of the things that you don't think about until it's actually happening is, you know, some of these kids, 
are not coordinated. They're theater kids already. You know, even from a very young age, they're not playing sports. You can tell. And even if I'm not hucking candy canes at their face, you know, you throw them at a decent speed and some of them are just banging kids right in the face. And uh, there's nothing, there's nothing anybody can really do about it. You know, and I remember having that thought. I feel like at one point somebody said to me, yeah, I remember somebody yelling out just kind of like, hey, man, watch it. And I was like, I'm gone. You know, I'm fast. I'm a pretty fit guy. You know, like, so you can catch me if you want to, but I'm on to the next kid. So I get done running this 5K. I'm hot and sweaty. And for real, like, as you would expect, but I did not think about this ahead of time. Kid the Santa Claus and they want to tell Sam, they don't know. They're stupid. They have, they haven't even gone to college yet. You know, they haven't even been told what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Right. Uh, they haven't formed their brains at all. So they're like, Santa is here. He's wearing Asics and he's a lot skinnier than any other version that I've ever seen, but that doesn't matter. So they wanted to tell me what they got for Christmas. Right. And at first I was a little reluctant, but then I try to just generally be like a nice, sweet guy. So I was like, yeah, of course, that sounds nice. Whatever, we can get it out of the way and and we'll get back home and I'll relax on the couch. And yeah, and then next thing you know, there are literally 20 children lined up waiting to tell me some guy who they don't know, but their parents are trusting uh, with uh, telling them what they want for Christmas. And it it was a little overwhelming. But the, uh, and then a cop came over cause he was running security and we were just making jokes together, whatever. And that's when he said the uniform line to me, which is like, you know, don't put on the uniform. You can't do the job. And at the time, I mean, I, w- I had a good laugh about it. We both did. And I was like, wow, dude, that's a zinger. Um, maybe you should do comedy, but, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I mean, I, I did it. it. We got it over with. It was no huge deal, but it's more funny to act like I was stressed about the situation. Now, with the the story itself, um, that's pretty much the version of it that I still tell, but I've tried adding different pieces to it, you know, because there's the the root story, which is the main um, through line that doesn't really change. And then like my process when I'm writing any bit is once I find out what the funny parts of it are, then I write as much as I can about that part, even if it's not about the story, right? So when I say, um, like, if you thought white privilege was good, try mythical holiday character privilege. So I I wrote some new stuff about that. That's kind of like, um, you know, this guy like breaks into your house, he eats your food, he sleeps with your wife. Like that's privilege. And you invite him back every year. Like that's privilege, you know? And then I, wrote some another thing about like if this guy's name was Shaquille Claus, he would have never made it out of the suburbs. You know, that went <laughs> like opening, you know, it's just like but some people are just like, that sounds racist. I'm like, it's kind of racist, but it's true. You know? Uh, cops don't like black people in the country in the United States. So it's really just mostly me just kind of make like seeing how far I can take something without it like being offensive, right? Like I'm not trying to be I'm not that I'm not that guy. Like I'm not the comic that is going to say something just blatantly like shitty for mm. the sake of like, oh, oh man, I can't believe he said that. What an edgelord. It's like, no, I'm just trying to make like a fun observation that can sometimes be kind of serious, but it's like, it's real, you know? So I kind of went that direction with it. There's a new line that I wrote in there about, um, that's been going pretty well. 
about when I say the cop, there's so the way I set it up, it's like, so there's a cop nearby, right? There just running security, either, uh, uh, either running security or just out patrolling for pet for pedophiles. You know, it's like, usually, you don't, usually you have to work a lot harder than this, but sometimes a fish just jumps right in your boat, you know? <laughs> and so that line's been going okay. And, um, and then I've tried to add a couple things to the end of it just to see if I can tag it a little bit more. Nothing's really been fruitful. Um, but that's part of the process, you know, is like, I'm always looking for, um, make it, make it as big as you can at first. So write out every detail, write out as many jokes as you can, and then listen back to recordings and be aware when you're telling the story or when you're telling the joke and just be really honest with yourself about what's working and what's not. And then literally just start crossing stuff off that's not working. And then that making it the smallest version of itself. So going from the biggest thing to the smallest thing. And then once it's at its smallest version, how do I incrementally make it bigger from there? So it's literally just making additional jokes about subjects, verbs, the characters involved. Um, you know, so maybe a direction to take would be, you know, I mentioned a cop, you know, write jokes about cops. Uh, there's kids in the story, write jokes about kids. There's Santa in the story, write jokes about Santa. You know, so even though that's none of that has to do with the story, now I'm just trying to add punchlines intermittently throughout the whole thing that have to do with the stuff in the story. Wow. I absolutely love that. I mean, this is so we've, I think you're like episode 25. I've been doing, not been publishing consistently with this podcast, but everyone's got a different style of me of doing comedy. Um, and some people are definitely more thorough like yourself. And I just love hearing these tips and tricks. So anyone who's listened to past episodes or, or knows anything about me, I don't really write anything down. I come up with like little ideas in my head and then I just do it, but I'm not comedy for me. It's something that's more of a hobby. You know, I'm, I'm podcasting is my profession and comedy is my hobby. So I just don't have the time to dedicate like what you just described there though is amazing. Like I wish I had the time to sit down and what I love, I've always loved in my life is like a step-by-step guide like systems and this is the beauty of comedy is people think you know you've heard this as well people go i couldn't do that i couldn't be funny or you know and it is like if you can follow a system if you can copy that and replicate it and put your own spin on it that's really why anybody can do comedy if you really want to i think so anyway yeah i try to i think it's important to build like a foundation and skills and have that system that you're talking about so that i can um have a process to try to make this thing better. But I'm also, you know, I'm an advocate for um, just being a funny person. But I think that comes with you have the system in place. So when the the just being a funny guy or being a funny woman on stage fails, then you have the system, right? Kind of like um, when, like, if I get uh, if I'm having like mental trouble or I'm depressed or sad or I'm going through like a tough period of time in my life, I have a system in place that I practice every day. So that way, when things aren't going well, I have that system to kind of keep me sane and get me through it, you know? So hmm. it's like a like a practice of sorts where, you know, you don't have the practice in place for when things are going well, but you have to build those habits and you have to uh, stick to them. So that way, when you actually need it, you, you already have those habits in place. So like jokes for me are 
uh, you know, I'm pretty thorough and thoughtful and meticulous about what I say, what I don't say and how I say it. Um, but I also, um, I really enjoy just trying to be funny in the moment, you know, and making observations about what's happening in the room or just something stupid that I thought of that day and seeing how far I can go with that. And then once you take it, once there's like a dip or a lull, um, you're like, okay, great. Let's get into the jokes, you know, mm -hmm. cause I've already got this polished shiny toy that, uh, <laughs> I haven't shown you guys yet, you know, that, um, <laughs> that I have to fall back on that I know works, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. I can't wait to see it in practice. So uh, this has been awesome, Corey. Thank you so much. Uh, I love being able to hear from comedians like yourself. We spoke to so many and shared so many amazing tips. So if you are an aspiring comedian, uh, make sure you've been taking some notes. Go back and listen to old episodes. Before you go, tell people about the show this weekend and why they should come out to see it because there's not. this is going to sell out. I'm absolutely sure of it. Well, I'm just, well, first and foremost, I can't thank you enough for um, setting this up. I mean, considering the fact that, you know, the way we kind of started getting in touch was basically Reddit, you know, uh, just kind of going out on the internet and me planning this trip and kind of retroactively booking some comedy stuff after that. And I think it's just, it'll be, it's fun because, um, you know, I'm coming in with a completely different perspective than maybe some of the local people that, uh, you've seen before who I'm sure are incredibly funny, but just kind of, uh, just a different take, you know, I'm, uh, grew up in the States. I grew up in New York. I grew up in, I, I live in Colorado. Um, I'm ex Mormon, love psychedelics and drugs and stuff. And <laughs> I just kind of, uh, I tried to, um, just have fun with the room, like whoever's there, like my job, uh, as a comedian is to just is to be funny for the people that are in that room right so it's not this like you're watching a netflix special and mm. it's like a tv screen and you're just watching presented material or anything like that it's like no our obligation as comics is to be be really funny that night you know whatever that takes you know sometimes it's polished material other times it's riffing other times it's you know it's making observations about what's happening in front of you and uh I don't know, man. I just try to have fun. Like, I think you've got to notice that about me, hopefully so far, is that I'm just kind of a big goofball. <laughs> and uh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm here to just like, have a good time, be silly, and uh, not take things too seriously. And uh, I think if anybody, if you come out to the show, I can guarantee that uh, you'll walk away from it. I'm happy that you did. I can't wait. And I've actually, I make a point with most comedians that, I, that I'm going to watch is not to really watch too much of the material online. So if you are listening, don't go run off and start looking on YouTube for Corey David. Uh, just come out and enjoy the show because I think it's always the best when you just see somebody in person for the first time without actually really knowing too much about their material or anything like that. And I'm the same as you. Like, I just want to make people in the room laugh. That's that's the end of the day. I want want people to have a good time. So we got a great show. So I'm going to be hosting. And then we got Tao Da, who's a finalist in the Vietnam comedy competition. And Wanye West, who's a musical comedy and just one of my favorite people in the world to watch. Um, in real life, he's an absolute asshole. Like, don't listen to anyone who says he's a good guy. He's he's a total dickhead. Wayne, I hope you're listening to this. Uh, anyway, no, I'm kidding. On. <laughs> I'm kidding. On. Wayne's a right. Australian, so I've got to call him. A, I won't even say it. But, you know, see you next Tuesday if you know what that acronym stands for i know i know that wayne does but um come out to the show it's going to be at eddie's diner in d1 it's upstairs and um, tickets are two hundred thousand dong which is like nine dollars or something like that 
Um, if you book before Friday, they're going to be 250,000 dong on Saturday. And if you pay on the door, they're going to be 300,000 dong. But I'm pretty sure they're going to sell out before then. So make sure you go to the show notes um, or go to 7 Million Bikes Comedy and Events Facebook page or go to the website and you'll be able to buy the tickets there. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you on Saturday. You're off to Fukuok now. Yeah, man, I'm going to go hang out on the beach, maybe find some mushrooms and uh, drink some drink some coconut water and, uh, and go for a swim, bro. Enjoy, enjoy. All right, then, Corey, thank you so much, and I will see you on Saturday. Sounds good. Thanks, bud. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed this episode if you're like me you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public wi-fi this opens you up to digital snoopers it's a massive problem it can be your internet service provider or you know who looking at what you do online or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data these days it is vital that you keep your data safe NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.